I love that passage. One, one of my favorite passages, I think, in all of Scripture, I know I say that a lot, I'm sorry, is, uh, is the passage that James just led us in reading, John 15. And my prayer for my life, uh, for my family, for, for this, our church, is that we would bear much fruit and so be pleasing to the Lord. It pleases Him that His people bear that in your frontal lobes, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. We've been walking through the book of Luke together, and today we're just picking up where we left off. Luke chapter 8 will begin in verse 4. If you're using the church Bible in those seat backs ahead of you, that's on page 812. Luke 8, beginning in verse 4. Last week, we considered Jesus' clearly stated purpose. We're teaching in parables. And today, building on that, we'll be looking at a particular parable, namely the parable of the sower. So as you're finding your place, again, Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 4, I want to draw your attention as we're considering, preparing to consider this parable of the soils, or excuse me, sometimes it's called parable of the soils, sometimes parable of the sower, sometimes parable of the seed, whatever you call it, here it is, Luke 8. Uh, beginning in verse 4. Uh, but, but I want to draw your attention to some particularities, some distinctives, if you will, two special distinguishing qualities about this particular parable. First, the parable of the sower is one of just a very few parables that is included in all three of the synoptic gospels. Just a reminder, the first three books in your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are often called the synoptics or the synoptic gospels because they share a lot of similarities. They share a similar sequence, a similar structure, whereas the fourth gospel, the gospel of John, is organized a little bit differently. There are, for instance, no parables in John. But the point is, in the Gospels that do contain Jesus' parables, this one, the parable of the sower, is featured, and prominently, I might add, featured prominently in all of them. We see it in Matthew chapter 13, we see it in Mark chapter 4, and we see it here today in Luke chapter 8. This, of course, does not make the parable of the sower more true than any of the other parables. If anything occurs just but once in God's word, you can take it to the bank. It is, it is eternal. It is true. But what that does mean is that Almighty God intended to emphasize this particular truth to his people. When God repeats himself in Scripture, he's not doing it for his own benefit. He wants us to get something, to grow up and into something. And in other words, what I'm asking you to do, Friendship Community Church, is to lean into this. This is a big deal, this parable of a sower. Secondly, um, another distinctive about this parable is that, according to Jesus, this parable seems to be central in our understanding of all the other parables. Here's how Christ puts it when he's explaining the parable of the sower in Mark's account. This is Mark 4.13. You don't need to flip there. I think I've got it on the screen for you. He's speaking of uh, the parable of the sower, and Jesus asks, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? 
You see, for this reason, many biblical commentators will refer to the parable of the soil here as a parable of the parables. In other words, this parable is a parable about how the parables work. It describes how we hear the word of God. It it describes what actually happens when the seed of God's word falls on the soil of our lives. So before we read it, I just want to one more time stop and and ask for the Lord's help. Ask that he would indeed make the the soil of our hearts and our lives fertile soil, good soil. Let's, let's, Let's go to him asking. One more time. Father, thank you for uh, gathering your people together today. There's such joy, Lord. When you, when you save us, you save us into a family, your eternal family. And we thank you for the relationships represented here. Uh, Lord, we also just thank you for the word that you have given us. And Lord, our earnest plea is that you would give us ears to hear your voice, God, eyes to see your truth. As we often pray here at FCC, Father, would you, would you guard us by your matchless spirit? Would you, would you guard us from error? And would you guide us in your truth? In Jesus' name. All right. I think you should be there by now. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. Let's, let's read together the parable of the sower. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said... In a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock. As it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture, and some fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it, and some fell into good soil and grew and yielded A hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay. Well, we'll keep reading in a bit, but but this brings us to the end of the parable proper. We're going to get the explanation, Jesus' own explanation of what he means here in, in a bit. But let me just pause to simply ask this question at the outset. How many of you here are at least vaguely familiar with this parable. Show of hands, have you heard the parable of the sower before? Most of us, okay? Imagine then, I know this is hard to do, but I want to plead with you not not to um, jump to the answers or to yawn because you kind of implicitly know what's coming. I want to ask you to imagine for just a moment that you were hearing this parable For the very first time, Jesus says, there's a guy who goes out and sows seed on four different types of soil. He sows it here and here and here and here with varying results. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, what if you had never heard the explanation of what those... Soils mean and of what the seed is and what in, what in the world's going on. I mean, how would you know what to even make of this, right? I mean, you might be saying, I would probably be saying, wow, Jesus, I mean, that's a pretty nice story about spreading seed and different types of soil. But uh, what does that have to do with anything? I mean, remember, he's a carpenter. 
He's already been telling Peter how to fish, and now he's telling the farmers how they ought to be broadcasting their seed. Jesus, why are you telling us this? Well, hopefully, this realization is comforting to you. If you you just think about the parable itself, how could you distill any meaning, any spiritual meaning from that without an explanation? Well, it comforts me to know the disciples couldn't do it any better than I could or any better than you could. And yet, I want you to see this as we're preparing to read and to continue in our passage. Yet, although the disciples themselves don't know what this parable means, they model something here very important, critical for us. They show us what to do when you don't get it. And I'm there often. I don't know about you, but I'm there often before the Lord. They they model for us what you do when you hear the word of God and you're struggling to make sense of it. Simple answer? (laughs) Well, you you ask. (laughs) You come to the king of the kingdom whose parables, whose truths these represent, and you humbly ask him, what in the world this means? And friends, that's precisely what we see the disciples doing here. Let's check it out. Verses 9 and 10. Jesus is given the parables. He sort of left it there. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, picking up in verse 9, Luke 8, 9. When his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you. It has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others, they're in parables, so that seeing, they may not see, and hearing, they may not understand. Now, I find that fascinating. The disciples asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, what's up with this particular parable? You just talk to us about soil and a sower and there's some seed. What's, what's going on there, Jesus? And, and he's about to give them an answer. But before he tells them the answer to their particular question, Jesus backs up, as it were, and takes some time to spell out his whole purpose for teaching in parables, period. And isn't he crystal clear about this? I mean, he is just so clear. Jesus tells us right here in Luke 8, 9, and 10 that his parables serve a dual purpose. We talked about this last week. They they both conceal the truth and they reveal the truth, which, I think if we're honest, for some of us might seem a bit jarring. Why would Jesus conceal the truth? And then reveal it to others. Keep in mind, this is not the typical answer that we get when we ask, why did Jesus teach in parables? But uh, I'm I'm being tempted to preach last week's message, so I'll stop. And I really want to encourage you, if you've not really dug into this, the purpose of Jesus' parables, and you missed last week, it's, it's a pretty critical message for how we continue to understand the Gospels, specifically Jesus' teaching In this form, a third of Jesus' teaching is in parables. I'd I'd encourage you to go back if you weren't here and listen to that message. It's on our website. You can find it on YouTube, on on our Facebook group, uh, or you can just go to Benjamin. That's what I do, and he he fixes all my problems. He'll he'll point you in the right direction. But uh, 
Let's take the plunge now. If we've seen correctly what the parable is, we've got the content, the raw fodder of the parable. We've got Jesus explaining to us what he's doing with the parables in general. And now we're going to get his own explanation. Pick it up in verse 11. Luke 8, beginning in verse 11. Now Jesus finally gets to it. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in a time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Okay. So for clarity's sake, I think it'd be helpful for us to to quickly identify these three major pieces of the parable. And, And I didn't do this, but they all start with S, so it's easy to remember. You've got the seed, the sower, and the soil, right? These are the three main components of Jesus' parable, the seed, the sower, and the soil. Let's start with the seed. It's real simple. Just look at verse 11 now. According to Jesus... The seed is the word of God. Now, friends, you have to remember that. I mean, this is is mission critical. If you're going to understand this biblical truth, if you're going to understand this parable and try to apply it to your life, then you have to know that the seed is... Good. Some of you are worrying me. The seed... Don't forget it. The seed is the word of God. It's kind of like how Peter later in his first epistle, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, says this. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding what? Word of God. That's right. Now, the seed is the word of God. It should be simple enough. Secondly, we see that the sower simply the one who's scattering the seed, scattering the word of God abroad, is here, most particularly, Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus is the sower with a capital S. But generally speaking, it's also true that a sower can be anyone who follows Jesus after him and is continuing to to do that. Anyone spreading the word of God is sowing. Right now, I am to you sowing seed and praying my guts out that it falls on good soil. We were here yesterday celebrating the life and legacy of Ruth Ann Main, and, and Pastor Rick was sowing seed, sowing the good news of the gospel in the midst of loss, good news that we could share about our sweet sister in Christ with more than just a painted smile on our faces. Because the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection is that we live with him forever. 
That's good news for Ruth Ann. That's good news for us. So the, the sower is, is Jesus first, of course, and then anyone scattering the seed is, is a sower. I hope you're a sower. So that's the, the seed, the sower, last ask, the last component of the parable. Again, this is just making sure we understand the big components here is these four soils. Now, the soils represent four types of hearers who encounter the seed, who encounter the word of God. So, so really, these places are actually people, aren't they? These places, these soils represent the condition of the hearts and souls of real men, women, and children. Seed, sower, soil. Pretty easy so far? Just straightforward? All right. It's time to get our hands dirty then. We're going to go a bit deeper and do a little bit of soil analysis, if you will, breaking down the difference between these, these four soils. Look with me, if you would, at verse 12. The first soil... The sad soil to talk about. The issue at play here with the first soil, again, Luke 8, 12, is hardness of heart. Jesus tells us that this seed that fell upon this type of soil was like seed that fell upon the path. That's, that was my translation out of the English Standard Version. Some of you might have had in your own translation the word fell upon the road or the roadside or the wayside. Same, same Greek word, same general meaning. What's Jesus' point? Well, the seed fell upon the highway. Not a real good place for germination to take place, is it? That hard, packed down road, that path, it's impossible. It's impossible for that seed to even have a chance to, to, to germinate. It won't, it can't penetrate through that hardness of the path into the soil to generate growth. So this is, this is a picture of a person then who doesn't even really hear the word of God. Now they might, they might hear it. They might hear the sound waves cascading upon their eardrums, but they don't have, as Jesus often says, ears to hear. You see, there's a cold and firm indifference to the word of God in their heart. And then, there's the birds. You know, those who came along and just snatched that seed right off the path. They came and and devoured it. This is clearly a picture of the enemy. Jesus says as much in verse 12. It's the evil one who snatches away the seed, which is what? The word of God that's been sown in that heart. Sort of like how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There's the soil of the path, the seed that fell along the road. No chance. The second soil is that which Jesus tells us falls upon rocky soil. Now, I think I've always had, or anyway, for a long time in my brain, had the wrong kind of visual picture of this rocky soil. Verse 6, it's literally that which fell on the rock. So, So what we're not talking about here is 
bony soil. I, I was a farm boy growing up in upstate New York, and sometimes we'd go out in the field and we would pick stone. I mean, loads of fun. <laughs> you just kind of walk behind Dad on the trailer, and you're just reaching down for hours, and you're picking up rocks and, and throwing them in the back of the trailer and haul them out of the way. That's not what Jesus is talking about. That's not the type of soil we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is the seed that, look, look at it, that fell on the rock. Not among many rocks, but, but, but what was happening is that there would have been a thin layer of soil covering a large rock shelf, like bedrock, such that when that seed fell, it could immediately spring up. There's, there's soil, right? Everything initially seems fine. But what's Jesus' diagnosis? Verse 13. Jesus says, well, the problem is there's no root there. There's nowhere for that plant to get anchored in its root system because the rock is down underneath there. More specifically, Jesus said, this represents, verse 13, a time of testing where they fall away from that which they have heard. Now, I think we should note that these people, as we said just a moment ago, initially respond favorably. Look at verse 20. Verse 20, that's the wrong verse. They received it with joy. Whatever verse that is, that's still still 13, isn't it? They received it with joy, and yet they withered in the end. Now just just stop and think about life and faith and an application of that the way that you've experienced your walk with the Lord. Any of us who have been walking with Christ for any amount of time would say with great sadness that we, we know exactly what Jesus is talking about, don't we? We've seen so many tragic examples of folks who have come to the Lord, they perhaps have come to church, or they, they've heard the gospel presentation, they've seen on the face of it the glorious good news of the gospel. And they've said, which is a right understanding, wow, it's amazing. And they sprang up, shot up quick. But unfortunately, like a flash in the pan, six months later, sometimes six weeks later, six days later, there was no staying power, was there? No root. Where'd they go? I, I, I don't know. They went out from us because they were not part of us. What happened? Luke tells us, well, testing happened, a, a time of testing. But I appreciate here how we can glean a little bit more information from what's going on in the parable when we interpret Scripture with other Scripture. And Matthew's account of the parable of the soil gives us even a little bit more detail here. Check this out. Matthew 13, verses 20 and 21. This is talking about the same parable, the same type of soil. This is the seed that was sown on the rock. Listen now to how Jesus more specifically helps us understand what's happening with these trials. He says... As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when, here it is, 
tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately he falls away. You see, Matthew's given us a little bit more color here, right? What's happening with these trials? Well, hardship's happening. That's what's happening. Tribulation's happening. Pain and persecution is happening. And again, I won't ask for a show of hands, but we've seen this, haven't we? People who initially and positively respond to the the gospel message, and then tragedy strikes. And I'm not talking about manufactured or petty stuff. A spouse dies. child. A devastating diagnosis is given. The throes of depression come like waves and anxiety. Marriage is crumbling apart. Pick your pain. But whatever this trial is, whatever this persecution or or tribulation, please, please make sure that we're getting the point here. Without minimizing anyone's pain, Jesus is speaking clearly here and he's helping us to see that some will respond to the pain and hardship by throwing in the towel on their profession of faith. Our faith, friends, doesn't work because it avoids tragedy or disaster. Remember that the Savior who bought your salvation said this would happen. I just feel like it's, it's helpful to say this and repeat this often. Jesus promised us, in fact, pain and persecution and struggle. John 16.33, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. What I'm trying to say is, don't be taken off guard, friend. Don't make the gospel mean something Jesus never meant it to mean. None of us are getting out of this thing pain-free. I'll show you a a personal example. It means a lot to me. It speaks volumes. As I often tell you, I grew up in a small uh, town in northern New York and where some of my um, ancestors, is that the word? Those who came before me in my family... My extended family are, are, are buried up there in a small little cemetery. Occasionally, my dad will take me over there when I'm there, and he has in the past many times. And, and we've noticed visiting this small rural cemetery, a, uh, a heart-wrenching story told between the lines chiseled on a gravestone. I want you to take a look at this. I don't know if you can see it exactly from where you're sitting. sitting. I'll, I'll read it to you. On this single gravestone is represented tragedy that struck in upstate New York. About the time of the Civil War, 1864 is the date on this stone. The Garfield family, on April 26, 19, or excuse me, 1864, the unthinkable happened to the Garfields when their six-year-old little Emma, that's the first name on that tombstone, Six-year-old little Emma died. And you know, they've, they've carved there, underneath her name, each of her days. 
Six years, seven months, 29 days. Because each of those days mattered to them. Unthinkable for a six-year-old little girl to pass. And then just nine days later, there's another name. Just nine days after precious Emma passes, the three-year-old son, her younger brother Robert, passed away. So this, then, was not some kind of freak accident on like a carriage ride or something. This must have been some sort of disease that was working its way through the family. Emma succumbs nine days later. Three-year-old little Robert passes away. Can you, can you imagine watching this happen as parents? Pleading with the Lord to take you instead? And then, less than three weeks later, again, 11-year-old Charles passes away. All three Garfield children dead within a month's time. And I want you just just to, for a moment, I know this is hard, but I want you to think about little 11-year-old Charles He was old enough to see this coming, wasn't he? To watch his sister get sick and succumb. To watch his baby brother get sick and then succumb. And then he's sick. 11 years old. I I cannot imagine this kind of pain. All three children dead within a month. Later, we read on the other side of the stone, the Garfields would have another child who would make it to adulthood only to die at the age of 23. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because I want to show you an example of real faith in real time. What was the the Garfield's response to this overwhelming tragedy? Well, there's two inscriptions on... This gravestone on the other side, I'll, uh, I'll show you one of them here. Again, I tried to circle it for you. I don't know if you can read this from your seat. Both inscriptions on their, these gravestones are lyrics from old hymns. This one reads, Earth hath no sorrows that heaven cannot heal. You see, their hearts had been shattered and broken. And yet, the Garfields were still singing to the Lord. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say, it's not that your pain is not devastating. It may be overwhelming like it was for them. Here's Jesus' point. Pain, hardship, persecution will not shipwreck genuine faith. It won't. It won't. And we don't have to look up to a 150-year-old gravestone in upstate New York to tell that story, do we? Many of you here 
Friendship Community Church, you understand a level of this grief. You've watched children pass. You've buried spouses. We had two pass here within just a few weeks, two sweet and precious saints of the Lord. Ruth Ann's memorial service was yesterday, and Jean Lyles is Tuesday. None of us get out of this pain free. Jesus' point is, there's a, kind of, there's a kind of life, there's a kind of soil that the Word of God falls upon, and it springs up with joy. But then, because there's no root, when pain is applied, that's it. All right, got to get to this third type of soil. The third soil, we see another devastating force at work, albeit the opposite end of what we've just seen with the rocky soil. What we see here on the third soil is distraction. Look at verse 14, Luke 8, 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're, they're choked. Choked by what? They're choked by three things. Cares and riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Three things, Jesus says, choke out the fruitfulness of that which the word of God germinates. Cares of the world, riches, Matthew's account says the deceitfulness of riches. Remember, there's nothing evil about wealth or riches. What's deceitful is when you put your hope in them. This has been said, money is a great servant, but a very poor master. Cares, the the riches of the world, the pleasures of life. Again, note here, this is just the opposite of the last soil, isn't it? In the last soil, pain and hardship came, and they flamed out. In this soil... They're so enamored with the fool's cold that the world has to offer. The pleasures, the the cares and concerns. We're not just talking about sin, even good stuff. So enamored in work and life and family and stuff. I want to speak compassionately. But as your pastor, I have a responsibility before the Lord to speak truly to you. My time in pastoral ministry, if there is one thing that I have seen derail people from serving the Lord, from bearing fruit for the kingdom of God, this is it. It's the weeds. The deceitfulness of riches, the cares of the world, the pleasures of life. Go ahead. I want you to ask yourself, just in the quietness of your own heart, ask this honestly, friend. Are any of these things keeping me from bearing fruit for the kingdom? There might be some of you here who say, yeah. If I'm honest, I struggle with the richest thing. Just pursuing wealth and the comfort that comes with it. Others would say, no, that's not a struggle for me. And Maybe you're chasing your six-year-old around, slave to his travel baseball schedule. And that's what's keeping you from serving Christ. How 
house, food, car, body image, comfort, passion. Call it what you will. Substitute your own temptation. But friends, these cares of the world, if they're let grow, will indeed, Jesus says, choke out the seed and prevent it from reaching fruitfulness. These weeds prevent us from prioritizing, if I can use that word, prioritizing the most important thing in this life. Jesus didn't make you. God didn't put you here and create you so you can spend what he gave you on yourself. Did he? Jesus says elsewhere, seek first. Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus is telling this parable. And his righteousness. God knows you need a whole bunch of other stuff. He'll provide that. The issue here is prioritization. And rather than just wagging my finger at you and internally at myself, I want to just give you two positive examples right here as we think about ways to apply this in our lives. The first is, I think, a beautiful video. This was from just a few weeks ago here as our Wednesday evening programming was wrapping up. Uh, Trisha Goschok and, and, uh, and her team have been working with a number of kids that had been coming to Wednesday evening programming, leading them through uh, material called the New City Catechism. It's just a compilation of a number of historic creeds and confessions of the faith. I want, I want you to see this. This is just an example. Here's why I'm showing you this. To see an example of what right prioritization of time and resources can look like. Just, just an example. We got it? Ready to roll? No? It's, a, it's the video, not the... There we go. <laughs> Only hope in life and in death... She's not looking for this, but a huge thank you to Trisha Gottschalk and, uh, and to the many who sow their time and, and talent into, into building up and discipling not just the next generation, but, but the rest of us here at Friendship Community Church. What's it look like for you to prioritize the kingdom of God, to use what he's given you, resources, gifts, opportunities, training? To see Jesus' purposes marshaled forward. That's just just an example. By the way, that video went on for like two two and a half minutes. Just gave you a snippet. Isn't that amazing? Little kids reciting bedrock truth from the Christian faith. Here's one more example. Been thinking about this one a lot lately. This picture means a lot to me. VBS is coming and I was... Checking out our children's page on our website. 
and just happened to run into this. I, I think Allison Mish took it a few years ago. I love that picture. Sweet Ruth Ann Main and little Easton. We all love Easton, don't we? So much energy and spunk in life. And, and there she is, settling them down right there, right? See the smile on her face and the light in her eyes? I can't think of a single soul who spent more of herself in this place. This church started in her parents' living room. She's been here since its inception. As Pastor Rick reminded us yesterday, her fingerprints are all over this church. What a fantastic example of someone. Rather than getting distracted by the cares of this world and the that all that, that glitters out there, just, just sowing her energy, her time, pouring out her love for the people of God and the advancement of the gospel. We sang. I love it when Ruth Ann Jones does this, our music director. We sang just a moment ago. I was thinking again about Ruth Ann Maine and Jean. Now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death. What a great example. We, we stand on the shoulders of those who have come before us. All right, let's get to that last type of soil. Jesus simply describes the fourth soil as good soil. And friends, this is, this is a mic drop moment if ever there was one in Scripture. Luke 8, 8, and some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. <laughs> I like how that word's so easy to say, a hundredfold, a lot, right? But I want just to pause for a second and help you gauge how bonkers big a hundredfold is. I mean, friends, this is absolutely staggering. The fruitfulness yielded from... This seed, the word of God, falling upon fertile soil, good soil, and growing up is just out of this world. So it helps to know what's typical. In the ancient Near East, a a typical yield when you were scattering seed, a a farmer scattering a seed, was somewhere between fivefold and fifteenfold. That's like a bumper crop. It was typically considered a pretty good year. If your seed yielded a tenfold return. So, let's say, for instance, I was trying to figure out how to show this. Maybe it helps, maybe it doesn't. Let's say, for instance, this little ball is a seed. So, if you were to sow this seed and reap a pretty good crop, a pretty good year, what you would get is a tenfold return. That's pretty good. You put in this and you get out this. The Pyrex dish. I got 10 of those things in there. I'll bring it back, babe. (laughs) I knew that was the question that was coming. Now, just hold on. Jesus said there's a kind of life. There's a kind of soil, good soil, that when the word of God falls on it, it yields an incomparably amazing, really a miraculous yield of fruit. This is an entirely different category. This type of fruitfulness will blow your mind. And so I was trying to figure out how to illustrate a hundredfold 
fruit. So, come on, guys, show us what it looks like. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Gavin's got it. It's not heavy, is it, Gavin? You're all right. Well done, Daniel. Thank you, guys. Look at this. You put in this. This is average. This is a hundredfold. It's amazing what Jesus is talking about. Thank you, guys. Well done. I'll just leave that there for you to look at. That's, that's amazing to me. As a matter of fact, we do see, even in Scripture, at least one example of a hundredfold yield happened to Isaac in Genesis 26. I won't read you the, the, the verse exactly, but uh, you, you can go check it out if you want in Genesis 26. Isaac uh, is reaping so much God's miraculous blessings have been poured out on his life that he's living among a bunch of other people. And they say, get away, man. We can't handle you. You're too much for us. A hundredfold blessing. Jesus said, this is what it's like when God's word falls on fertile soil. It produces fruit, which, if you'll remember, is a very big deal to God. Fruit. All right. One simple observation, excuse me, before we get to our final application, and it's this. I, I need us not to walk out misunderstanding Jesus' words. The difference, please hear this, the difference between the yield in these four soils had nothing to do with the sower, did it? The difference in the yield of these four soils had nothing to do with the seed, did it? The only variable that changed, the only changing factor to produce these radically different results was what? It was the soil. Spiritual fruit, then, friends, is not determined by the methods or the style or, hear me, the giftedness of the sower. For some of us, that's very good news. Can't it be pretty tempting to want to dress up the sower, right? All kinds of new methods for presenting the gospel and making it more engaging. Is that what Jesus does to yield such a miraculous return? No. Same sower. How about the seed? Did he, was he like broadcasting the seed on the rock and saying, oh man, this is the cheap stuff. Let me go get another satchel of seed. No. The seed didn't change. What's the seed? This side's strong. Well done. Yeah. Does the word of God change? No. We dare not try to dress it up. We dare not try to tamper with the methods of sharing faith or, or, or try to think that if we were a little bit more compelling, if we just packaged the seed right, man, we're going to get a bumper crop for Jesus. No. No. Friends, 
The word of God is the seed. The word of God changes lives. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's the spirit of God giving life to the word of God that falls upon the, the, the fertile soil of a life that is his. The question is, the only difference between this and dead is the soil. And so I, just thought it'd be helpful to remind us that our confidence is not in how shiny we make it, how effective the presenter is. Not only is that true for me right now, that's true for you. Just breathe out. It's okay for you, Christian, to share the gospel with your family and with your friends. You don't have to make it fancy. The seed doesn't change. And the sower is not that big a deal. It's up to God. It's up to God. The question is, do you have ears to hear? That's what Jesus keeps asking us. So let's, let's close. It's that time with just some simple application first. I want, to hit, I want to hit on that a little bit harder. Please do not be discouraged, church, when people do not respond favorably to the seed. I'm talking about how this impacts you right now. This is application, friends. Do not be discouraged when people do not respond favorably to the seed. Or, as hard as it is, do not be surprised when they don't stick. Many don't stick it out in the long term. Didn't Jesus say... This is what would happen? Here's the hard truth, friends. Most don't. Most don't. What a terrible thing for you to say, Zeb. How could you say that? Well, I'm reading Jesus' words, and three out of the four soils don't bear lasting fruit. Now, I, <laughs> take me the wrong way. I'm not trying to say there's an algorithm, right? I don't think Jesus is meaning to teach like an exact statistic of people who are going to respond favorably to the gospel. But three out of these four heart soils do not respond in a way that ultimately bears fruit in keeping with repentance. After all, Jesus says, in the one place in all of Scripture that I can find... When someone asks him point blank, hey Jesus, are many going to be saved or few? He says, black and white, Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, Jesus tells us. And the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. We don't have time now to work through the book of Acts. But just look at the the early church and see how the gospel was responded to. Think think about Paul. You know, the guy whose handkerchiefs were like healing people. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's raising people from the dead and performing miracles. Everywhere he goes, churches are... Bring it up like weeds. 
reflection on this parable. <laughs> Bad metaphor. Um, and yet we see everywhere Paul goes, some rejecting the message outright, don't they? Some defer, right? Some, some just kind of put it off. Some believe. But if that's the Apostle Paul, who do you think you are? Who am I that we should get different results? Friend, don't be disheartened when you sow the seed and you don't see the result that you are looking for. It's up to God. And that's the next point. They're just Again, talking about simple application. Friends, our job is to scatter the word of God everywhere. Everywhere. And to leave the results up to God. You see the sower? I mean, he would have got fired at most of our jobs. He's taking the seed and he's throwing it on the path. He's throwing it on the rocky soil. There's a patch of weeds over there. He's throwing it in the weeds. is very generous with his word, isn't he? He spreads it everywhere. And so should we. Because after all, it's not always who you think it would be. I've told you before, my parents were first-generation Christians, wrapped up in drugs and the hippie culture in the 70s. Last people you would think in our little country town that would ever, ever darken the door of a church. And the word of God fell. And the spirit of God breathed life. Those lost sinners saw Christ. And here I am. I am living, breathing proof that Jesus is mighty to save. And so are you. So are you. You should be encouraged to know also that bad soil doesn't always remain bad. Think about it now. The first time that you heard the good news of the gospel, you immediately received it. Some of you may have had that grace. Some of you may have just, boom, first time. But for most of us, if we're honest, the seed got scattered and picked off by the birds and scattered and choked out by the weeds and scattered and burned up by the scorching sun because there was no root. Praise God that he is so big that he can turn bad soil into good soil. it's just not up to you it's it just i struggle with this i need to learn not to take myself so seriously and so do you when you're sharing the gospel what 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 does this parable teach it teaches us to throw it everywhere and leave the results up to god last thing Bearing much fruit for the kingdom of God, friends, should be our life's ambition. This should be our passion. Good soil, fruit, 
should be our driving ambition here at Friendship Community Church. Whether you're a teacher or a truck driver or an engineer or a homemaker, this isn't for me and Benjamin. This is for all of us. The good soil is radically fruitful. And you know what glorifies God? Fruit. Isn't that how James started us off? Let's just end where we began. John 15, 8. Jesus speaking. He says, by this my Father is glorified. How is God glorified, Jesus? That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Whoever you are, whatever you're doing, don't trick yourself into buying into the sacred secular divide. Drive truck, friend, for Jesus. Raise those kids for Christ. Put on that suit, those of you in corporate America, and go get after it in the name of Christ. By this, God's glorified that his people would hear his word and that the word of God, affected, catalyzed by the spirit of God, would bear much fruit in the lives of the people of God. This is our prayer. Let's pray it and we'll sing it. Father, we thank you for this glorious parable, for this reminder of how your kingdom works. Lord, guard us from taking ourselves too seriously, from feeling like we got to dress up the, the sower or change the seed. God, give us confidence in you. And may we simply have a zeal and earnesty to bear fruit in keeping with the repentance you have granted us. Make us good soil. We pray by the power of your spirit and in the name of your son and all God's people said.